My name is Jordan Washington, and so just uh, a little bit about myself. I am native uh, to the great metropolis of Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, so born and raised there uh, by my mother, in which she still resides in the same house that, that I grew up in. Uh, I'm a graduate of uh, Little Rock Central High School. Uh, and so if you, if you know anything about Little Rock Central, most people uh, are familiar with Central because of the, of the Little Rock Nine. And uh, in, in more recent years, because of the great education that you can get at, at Little Rock Central. Uh, and so then I went and finished my undergrad uh, in uh, Arkadelphia at Henderson State University uh, with a degree in pre-law. Um, I was saved in, in college, and so the original plan uh, was to one day be president. Uh, and so I had actually charted a course for myself as a, as a freshman in college, uh, from graduating college to law school to the White House. And I had drawn it up, and it was beautiful, beautiful plan. Um, but the Lord had other things in store uh, for me. Uh, and so my, uh, halfway through my sophomore year of college, uh, I met some guys, they uh, began discipling me, sharing the gospel with me uh, every Friday morning at, at 6 a.m., and, and that's early. Uh, and, and something about me, I am not a morning person at all. Uh, but uh, by God's grace, uh, I met with them every Friday uh, for a year at 6 a.m., where, where we talked politics and, more importantly, where we talked about uh, the Bible. And so my uh, Christian journey uh, began in, in 2014, uh, and early on I began to sense a call to uh, the pastorate, to, to the ministry, and so I've been on that journey uh, ever since. And so me and my, my wife, who has accompanied me uh, here today, uh, are, have been a part of the uh, Presbyterian Church in America for almost two years now. And so we go to Central Hope Church, which is a church plant in, in Little Rock, Arkansas, where we currently meet at Loft 1023, which is downtown on 7th Street. So if you're ever in the area, you know where to come uh, and, and worship with us at 10 a.m. And so I originally uh, had titled uh, this sermon, uh, Worship the King. Um, but I, I felt it more fitting to, to change the title of the sermon to uh, Remember the King. Um, and so if, if you're anything like me, uh, you watch the news. Right, and so that was that was one thing that mom instilled in me very very early on is that you got to know what's going on in the world, son. And so uh, I'm an avid uh, watcher of the news, uh, and if you're anything like me, uh, receiving the news uh, in the world uh, can also be a very disheartening thing. Uh, it can also be very uh, discouraging uh, because of all the variety of different things that are going on uh, in in our nation and in the world abroad. Uh, things from uh, racial issues, uh, the gender identity crisis that our country is now uh, experiencing, uh, from the decline of the Christian faith uh, in the country in which uh, we live. Uh, all of these things uh, can be very uh, discouraging and, and can cause a person to lose heart. Uh, if you're like me, you, you've You've oftentimes been awake late at night and asked yourself the question, what am I doing? Right? Why not just throw in the towel and go with the shifting tide? Just go with the movement. Life will be much easier. I will be a lot less stressed if I just get on board with everything that everyone else is doing. 
And so I changed the title of the sermon to uh, Remember uh, the King. And so uh, this morning I will be talking about uh, worship. Um, And so there's a lot that could be said uh, about worship, and there's a lot that should be said uh, about worship. Uh, But we are by no means going to uh, tackle all of the different facets of what the Bible has to say about worship. And so, for example, we are not going to talk about the regulative versus the normative principle this morning uh, in worship. Uh, The regulative principle being, should the church only do that which is explicitly commanded in the Bible? Or the normative principle, which says that we can do whatever is not prohibited in the pages of Scripture. And while those statements might sound uh, quite similar, I assure you that they are uh, a world apart in difference. Uh, We are also not going to uh, be addressing the contemporary versus the traditional style of worship this morning, right? And the different nuances uh, of of that uh, debate that is currently happening, which form of worship is better. We are not going to be talking about those things uh, this morning. And so specifically this morning, what we will be talking about is why we worship, who we worship, and how we worship. And so now in our day, there is much confusion uh, and misunderstanding about what worship actually is. First, the worship service uh, in a variety of places has been transformed into a spectacle. Instead of people, uh, instead of the people of God gathering to sing praises to the king, the people gather for a concert where the lyrical content of the songs are, to put it in a polite way, uh, lacking. Right? The, the calling card, if there is such a thing, is look how fun it is to come to church. Look how in-tuned Christian folk are with what is popular, hip, and edgy. The worship pastor starter kit usually consists of skinny jeans, long t-shirts, and sneakers. Instead of unbelievers coming into the church and hearing praises sung to the creator of the universe who redeems sinful man, often what is sung sounds much more like a love song on a soundtrack of a bad teen drama. Further, the gathering of the saints in our day has become optional. And now I do understand that we are on the tail end of a pandemic and COVID did uh, change uh, much about worship, but the reality is long before COVID ever hit, Uh, The worship service uh, was optional. Uh, The church uh, has catered to the needs of the people, creating a culture of consumerism, where the worship of Christ is like any other event, right, where you can choose to skip it like you would the opening weekend of a blockbuster film. And so, again, in light of the pandemic, I've had uh, conversations with students of mine where I've become increasingly perplexed by the perceived weariness of the COVID-19 virus. It appears that the virus is something only to be feared at church. And the lake and beaches are actually safe places to gather. And so friends, this should not be. The first reason should be obvious, that in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. The worship service uh, should not be in competition with recreational activities. Uh, It should not be in competition with uh, your child's sporting event. 
the worship service uh, is not optional. Uh, God has commanded that we have no gods before him. And so what is actually being declared when people choose to do all the other recreational activities instead of attending the worship service, they're actually making a statement about what it is that they truly worship. More than this, we believe, uh, we as believers, the redeemed of God, have much reason to prefer the worship of God over the passing trifles of this life. And so it is my prayer that the Holy Spirit will give power to the words of Holy Scripture and grant us by his sovereign grace a fresh vision of the glory of our God, the creator, and of the universe, uh, the creator of the universe that uh, pulls our mind's attention and our heart's affections higher than the things that occupy and take away our affections that are here on earth. So first off, friends, we worship because we are created to. In the garden, man was created to worship God. And after the fall, man, after man was separated from God, man did not cease from worshiping God, but experienced a shift in our worship. When we look down the corridors of human history, man has always worshiped. So much so that various cultures, even to this day, worship a plethora of different gods that resemble things that are created in the world. This, in a word, is idolatry. But one might say, what about the atheist? They do not worship any god. On the contrary, they worship what is called the self. Even the atheist who says no god worships themselves as a supreme authority and highest being in the created world. Therefore, the entirety of life for them is self-gratification, and we, brothers and sisters, are susceptible to the same sins. When the question for many in our day is, what are you looking for in a church, instead of what is the church supposed to be, or more importantly, what is my role and responsibility to the bride of Christ, one has fallen into the same idolatrous self-love that the atheist has. We were made to worship, brothers and sisters. If you are to worship as we ought, or better stated, whom we ought, we must have our affections turned by the scriptures to love and worship him who is worthy of our worship. And so turn with me now to the book of Revelation, uh, where we will begin our journey in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And so here's a freebie, uh, a bit of wisdom that will greatly benefit you all the days of your life. So pay attention, because this is seminary-level type education that I'm giving you for free. <laughs> it's called the Book of the Revelation, not Revelations. There, there is no S at the end of Revelation. There is just one revelation of Jesus Christ that John wrote on the island of Patmos. And so beginning in verse 1 in chapter 5, Then I saw the right hand of him who, who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. 
And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and for your blood, uh, for your blood, ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. And so uh, let us set the, the stage uh, really quickly, uh, just because Revelation uh, is said to be a, a daunting book just because of the uh, immense amount of imagery uh, that, that we see. And so uh, one thing that we, that we must understand about uh, Revelation is that it is actually a letter uh, written by John from the island of Patmos that was sent out to the churches. And so again, uh, I, I mentioned at the outset that this study will by no means be exhaustive. And so uh, one of the things that you might notice is the number seven. Uh, and so we're, we're not going to delve into the significance of the number seven, but I can tell you that uh, the number seven is a number of completion. And so Whenever you read uh, the book of Revelation, uh, you will see this number seven appear uh, several times uh, throughout this letter. And again, that, that number has uh, specific significance to uh, Jewish apocalyptic uh, literature. And so again, John is writing this letter to uh, seven churches. Uh, but again, how many of us know that there are more than seven churches that have been established uh, at the time in which John is writing this letter. And so this letter is to be distributed to, to all of the churches uh, at this time. And so this prophecy uh, is a vision that has been shown to John in which he is communicating to the churches uh, at this time. And so in verses one through three, uh, we see that the problem has arisen. And so again in verse uh, one, then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seal. And no one is in heaven or on earth or under the earth who is able to open the scroll or to look into it. And so this is a problem that has arisen at the very beginning uh, of this chapter. There is a scroll with seven seals, and there is no one in all of the created universe on the earth or in the heavens that is worthy to take the scroll. And so the definition of the word worthy is having or showing qualities or abilities that merit recognition 
in a specified way. Now, this is no minor thing that no one is found worthy. No one in the heavens or upon the earth has the qualities or abilities to merit recognition from him who sits on the throne. This is a problem. This worthiness implies that no one has been found that meets the required standard of God. Now, for those of you who may have heard the gospel for a while and you know it, so to speak, let us take a look at the gospel. Uh, Again, the gospel begins uh, with God, uh, not with John 3.16. In the beginning, God says, Genesis chapter 1, Right, so in the beginning, so the gospel begins with God, uh, the one who existed before things existed. Right, and so, so let that mull around in your mind for the rest of the day. Right, the gospel begins with a being who is self-sufficient, one who is in need of no one to sustain his being. And so the gospel actually begins with who God is. God is the creator of all things and the king of the universe. And then we were created in his image. And in the garden, we were in right relationship with God. So the gospel begins with God, and then God creates all things in seven days, and it is good, very good. And then God does something unique and special when he creates man. Uh, Because out of all the creatures that were created, and you'll see this when you uh, read Genesis 1, all the creatures were created after their own kind. And all of them were good, but when God gets to man, he does something special. He creates us after his own image. And so again, the gospel begins with God. Then God does something special after he's created all other things. He creates man in his own image. Uh, But then trouble comes onto the scene. Man rebels against God, seeking rather to be like God than to submit to him. And so by our own sin, we have brought terrible misery upon ourselves. By our own sin, we deserve all the sufferings and miseries that accompany this life. And after our lives are done, we rightfully deserve to suffer under God's wrath for all eternity. This is the state in which all men have brought themselves into. But God, who is rich in mercy, did not leave all mankind to perish. He did not send a surrogate. Uh, He did not send a representative. He came himself to save his people. That if a sinner repents of his sins, turning and throwing himself upon the merits of Jesus Christ, he will be saved. My friends, this is the glorious gospel that saves sinners. That God is a holy, righteous, and just creator and the rightful king of the universe. Uh, again, in the culture in which we live in, we have a, uh, a predisposition, really, to talk about our individual rights. However, one thing that we need to remember is that God is the real person who has rights. We are not autonomous individuals. We do not move and have our being in and of ourselves. One thing I continue to remind my students of in class last year was that uh, none of us makes our heart beat. 
the naturalness of, of breathing, right? Again, we see this in Genesis 1, that even after God had made man, there was no life in him. And God breathed the breath of life into his lungs. And so even breathing, no one had to teach you how to do that. That is something that you do naturally. That is something that you do because God gives life to your being. And so God is the rightful king of the universe. The sovereign who created all things, who is worthy of our worship. And again, because of our own rebellion, because of our desire to be the sovereign, because of our desire to be autonomous and not submit ourselves to the will of God, we have brought ourselves under his righteous judgment. And again, this is a dreadful thing to consider. Because again, when we look at all the different things that are happening in this life, the misery that we read about in third world countries, that is rightfully deserved because of our sin. There is no such thing as an innocent man in the jungles of Africa. The innocent man does not exist before the eyes of God. And so again, after we have experienced all the hardships and the misery of this life, we actually deserve to go to hell to suffer under God's wrath for eternity. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent a savior in the form of himself, his son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfect life, the life that we should have lived but cannot. He died the death that is rightfully ours, that we surely do not want to die, and then was raised on the third day so that all those who believe in him will be put in a right relationship with God. Again, this is the glorious gospel that we gather on Sunday mornings to sing about. This is the glorious God that we gather on Sunday mornings to sing praises to. Remember the king. Remember what he has done. In verses uh, 4 and 5, And I began to weep loud be loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Dear friends, this is who we worship. Again, look, it is, no, it is no minor thing that no one was worthy to open the scroll. Again, you think of all the billions upon billions of people who have lived throughout human history. People whom you have never heard of, did not know that they existed. None of them were worthy to open the scrolls. You think about all the majestic creatures that are in heaven that you read about. The cherubim and the seraphim. Creatures that were created to dwell in the presence of a holy God. None of them were worthy to open the scroll. And so John begins to weep because of the lack of worthiness of all those in heaven and on earth. And again, this is more startling than we often give it credit for. The angels who are higher than man are not worthy to open the scroll or its seals. Those who are created in his image 
Those who said, let us make man in our image are not worthy to open the scroll. Again, this is a devastating reality of what we have forfeit because of our sin. We who are made in the likeness of God, created in original righteousness, are no longer worthy, worthy to have a relationship with our creator. But again, lo, the elder spoke kind and sweet words of encouragement to our brother John when he says, behold. This, dear friends, when the Bible says, behold, this is a summons. And so when you're going through your Bible reading and you see that word, behold, this is a summons for you to pay attention to what follows. And so the elder says, behold, a call to look at something of great importance. And so what is this grand news? And the grand news is that someone has been found worthy, that he who comes from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of King David, has overcome. He has succeeded where each of us has failed. He is triumphant where we have lost. He is perfect where we are imperfect. Someone has been found worthy to open the scroll. And then John looks in verse 6, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Again, friends, we see that the lamb is worthy. That of all the created things, both in the angelic realm and on the earth, the only one who is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals is the lamb. But not just any lamb, right? Because we've seen lambs before. We've read about lambs before in the Old and the New Testament, right? The nation of Israel regularly sacrificed lambs at the altar. And so this is not just any lamb. This is a perfect lamb. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. But the blood of bulls and goats was not sufficient to make us right with God. However, this lamb is perfect. This lamb is without blemish. This lamb is completely pure and sufficient to make amends for the sins of the people. God has provided a lamb to make amends for his people. And look at how the lamb appears. There can only be one reason for this. Right? He appears as if he had been slain, but the lamb is alive. Again, let us consider the gravity of what this is. Christ, though he was dead, he lives and he sits enthroned. Again, this is good news for us in the 21st century in the midst of an ever-changing world. That because our Savior lives we too will live. Because our Savior reigns, we too will one day reign with him. Again, this is glorious news for the believer. That no matter how hard this life can and is, at the end, we have better things to look forward to. Right? It is for the glory of 
for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. In the same way, it is for the joy set before us that we endure the Christian life. Joys that are inexpressible. Joys that have not been seen nor heard nor spoken of on this earth. This is how and why we endure the Christian life. In the midst of all the strife, in the midst of all the trouble, in the midst of all the persecution. It is for the joy set before us because the Lamb is alive that we endure the hardship. This is a perfect sacrifice that grants confidence to the believer now. For God will not require payment at the price of his son's blood and then require payment once more in eternity from the sinner. This is the confidence that believers have for the next life. It is the precious blood that causes the wrath of God to pass over the sinner. This is the God we worship. Is he not worthy? Have we forgotten the wonder of our salvation? Again, do not forget what it is that we deserve. Do not forget the immense grace of God. Do not forget that Christ stood in your place. And again, they began to sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The only rightful response to this glorious reality is how the elders responded, to fall upon our faces and worship him. Again, look at the glorious truth that we find in these verses. We see here the doctrine of definite atonement. Christ has purchased a people to God, and this people will without fail be saved. They can be nothing but saved. More sure than the rising of the sun is the salvation of the elect of God. Again, in our day, many seem to despise uh, what is called Calvinism in our day, and I do not have time to address those issues here now, but for those of us who see the great doctrines, we see the beauty of this reality. Our whole salvation is secure from beginning to end. Moreover, we see here that the blood of Christ has purchased a diverse people. How necessary is the gospel for our present culture that is being torn apart because of ethnic differences. Christ will have what is his. He bought them and they can be nothing but saved. And so how is it that we should worship? Well, we worship by singing praises to our God for his glorious salvation. The glorious gospel of our salvation should continually be on our lips singing the praises of our God for our deliverance. Not only, uh, and for not only has he delivered us from self, our self-destructive nature by the renewal of our spirit, he has also saved us from himself. One day we will reign upon the earth. When human history comes to a close and the king returns to judge the living and the dead and sweep away all those who hate him, those who, those who the Lamb have purchased will remain upon the earth to reign over the created world as representatives for our King. 
And so, brothers and sisters, in closing, let us leave off lame, trendy, and edgy worship songs that glorify man and edify no one. Let us persevere in good, sound worship. Let us sing songs that are saturated with glorious truth that comes from the Bible itself. Songs that lift us up, uh, the songs that lift up the wonders of the Lamb and the salvation that God has provided. Let us sing with mighty voices that God alone is worthy. All lesser things are not worth our attention. Lift your attention to the God who is there. Lift your affections beyond the fleeting luxuries of this world to the King who satisfies the soul. Pray with me. Dear Grace and Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning to give thanks to you for the gospel, for your salvation, for who you are. God, we pray as we begin this week that our hearts, affections, and our minds' attention will be lifted past the troubles that are in this world, past the current situations that we find ourselves in and that we would find satisfaction in you and in you alone and for what you have done for us in your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.